Good morning. I'm coming really close this morning because the uh, weather's pretty wild and woolly here. Let me just read from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's the Beatitudes. We think we know them well. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poverty of spirit and persecuted for righteousness are very close to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, N.T. Wright has said that it's a season uh, where lament that process of, of wrestling in grief seems to be part of people's experience. Maybe disruption in some way uh, has something to do with lament, but I know uh, how, how can we not just be lamenting uh, the pain we're seeing emerge in, in this uh, uprising of what's com commonly called Black Lives Matter. And I found myself wondering, what's the relationship between COVID-19 um, police behaviour uh, and obviously um, almost eternally historical uh, sadness and dispossession and anger. Why has that exploded at this time? And uh, global lament seems to be uh, inherent in the fragility of our condition uh, under the weight of... Well, look, let, let me just stop there and tell you what I want to do. I want to keep my reflections brief. So uh, let's have a look at where the Bible says this weight is coming from that we might be feeling. So I want that to be this week. That's part one of two parts. As I actually just think about um, what's happening. And, and please, I, I don't want you to think that I'm going to give you the answer. And if you do hear any answers, uh, I, I really don't want you to think I'm coming at this, you know, as yet another guru, you know, with any conceit at all. It's just me, a, you know, a beggar in the spirit looking for, for a bit of bread, really. And any bread, uh, as I think it through, that I'm getting just saying, well, here's some crumbs, if any of it's relevant to you. But clearly there's disruption, there's great um, hatred. There seems to be ethnic hatred throughout the history of the world that has typified the human condition from the beginning of time, you know, through the great ones that we know, whether it's Stalin or Mao or uh, terrible Turkish uh, Armenian genocides, um, Hitler, you know, just this ethnic hatred seems to typify our human condition. So in two parts, uh, I, I want to look at 
where where an explanation for this, a possible explanation inherent within our Christian faith. And then next week, uh, I just want us to have a little bit of a think about um, where we might fit into the problems and the solutions. So that's what I want to do. Um, our faith, I am convinced, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not another thing, I'm a Christian. Um, but I believe that our Christian faith has the best explanation by far of and assures us of the capacity to undermine, I think it explains and undermines uh, in a good way, what are these intractable problems. But obviously it doesn't undermine it completely and it's in part why I refer to those who do inherit the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, are those who know their poverty of spirit and those who actually are somehow in the fray uh, where persecution, although they're righteous, uh, persecution is part of their experience. So in this first part, uh, kind of what's called a theory of being us, which comes from our faith, and next week, the second part, a bit of a practical beginning, um, at least in my mind, uh, with deep humility, I might add. So from the beginning, it's important to understand that God is the eternal beginning and ending of all things. It's God who declares early in Scripture, I am who I am. When asked, who are you? I just am who I am. And everything else is dependent on and in some way derivative from the beginning. I am who I am. Lord of everything. There was nothing uh, without God. He is all in all. And you're just going to stop for a minute and allow that to per percolate deep, deeply in your life, particularly as you know, we're all tempted to waggle our finger at God. Um, there is no one before God, and there is no one in whom all things are not created and for whom all things are not created. So he is the Lord of all things, and that's the beginning and God, therefore, gives meaning uh, and purpose. And so, therefore, true meaning, if something is truly meaningful or has a true meaning, it will always reflect uh, God and who God is. The Bible tells us that God created all things, not some of them or a few of them or made a mistake here or there, but he actually created all things and he created them in his own image. So the creation reflects him. Therefore, we, uh, man first, and then the pinnacle woman, uh, actually reflects God and his image. Our reason, our morality, our affections, uh, all image him. So that means, as those who are created um, through him, by him and for him, which we as humankind are, we're actually designed to reflect him and therefore um, what we might call image him or magnify him. The Bible goes further and it actually says that this is for his glory. So in so much as uh, we live and move in him and, and have our being in him, 
and conduct ourselves in certain ways that magnify him, that uh, being and conduct uh, reflects his glory. So it's not for us, ultimately. It's for his glory in the way we magnify him. So whatever I do and whatever you do, it's for the glory of God. And that's why I read that uh, passage that says, Blessed are, in J.B. Phillips' little translation for schools, he says, Happy are. So this is this sense of um, the toing and froing backwards and forwards that our true contentment, our true happiness, a true sense of blessing is found in God. He is our supreme happiness. Not frivolous happiness, but deep, deep um, identity-filled contentment is found in God. Now, the question is, of course, well, who's fulfilling uh, that patent, that ultimate design uh, brief? Answer, well, none of us. Who is righteous, Romans says? No one not even one the problem we face is we've all fallen short and we've actually exchanged this endless desire to glorify God for uh, our own image me essentially looking in the mirror and being validated by myself now even if I hate myself I still love myself because I'm longing to see a self that I love. I'm obsessed with what I see in the mirror. I want to be made much of. I want to be approved of. I want to be successful. And actually, I even want to be a little bit more successful than you, which is just toxicity amplified for my glory, not ultimately for that eternal deep happiness that I find when I image God's glory. This is fundamentally idolatry, isn't it? I've made myself into an idol and I'm deeply invested in that, whether I want to be or not. And I can say in my heart of hearts, oh Lord, who can save me from this body of sin? So essentially, I very naturally in this broken, wounded world, belittle the creator in the name of myself now the fact is that God must inherently oppose me in this he opposes us completely in anything that is false to him it's utterly contrary to his design for things and therefore as the beginning who God is, the creator of all things, the setter up of the system, as it were, um, God is utterly justified in expunging this deformed creation from his planet. I mean, that would make complete just sense. We've tried to do better, but we don't. We can't. But many of us haven't tried anything. We're just completely sold out. Uh, to ourselves only God uh, in his graciousness 
and his mercy can affect a solution to this. And as Christians, we know that Jesus is that solution. The one who came, Luke says, not to be served in the mirror, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, John goes on to say, for all creation, he has given his life a ransom. So Jesus, in his life, bears our griefs, our sorrows. He bears our iniquity. He suffers for us. Isaiah says that we all, like sheep who are lost, have gone astray and we've turned each to our own way. We've all looked in the mirror and been obsessed narcissistically by ourselves. Yet it says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God is the solution in the Lord Jesus, the same Lord who took on himself the curse, took on himself the just punishment that I deserve in order that I can, through him, be forgiven a people free of unrighteousness, a people given the righteousness won by Jesus and his suffering by bearing God's wrath for me. Jesus, sent by his Father, the same Jesus who declares, I and the Father, he and the Father are one. They're one, so it's not Dad abusing the Son, it's the Dad and the Son being utterly united in this mission to buy back at his expense the ones he made whom he loves for himself to restore his image and see us reflect his glory. So Jesus becomes the substitute for me. My life, my death, my restoration is dependent on Jesus' life, death and resurrection for me. So this is what we mean by the gospel. This is the good news. And essentially this good news, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, because that's what we're asked to do, is brought into reality in our life. He did that for me and for you. And he did it not by some work that I do, but purely by his grace, his free unmerited favour through faith. So he offers it as a gift and I need to embrace it by faith. I hear and I embrace it and I receive it. Not by works, but just purely for the treasure and the gift that it is. Last week we received a gift. Her name's Eva Maria. And and I don't know, it captures your heart. And I know when I first heard this message about what the Lord Jesus had done for me, it captured me up my heart. I, I fell in love with the treasure. And it's held me all my life ever since. Just like this little life called Eva in just one picture. We haven't even seen her in the flesh, but just melts our hearts and captures our hearts. And this is the basis of a Christian worldview. And 
This worldview does two things for me. Firstly, it explains um, my capacity and the capacity and human capacity for racism and dispossession of those who are different to me. Just difference is enough, really. It doesn't have to be racial differences. Difference in all manner of ways. It explains, it's explained by our inevitable deflection into this thing that we call sin that's robbed us of our capacity uh, to bring glory to God and find true happiness outside ourselves. It explains how we look in all sorts of wrong places. It also undermines this disease that we have. We call it the disease of sin. Um, in Christ's coming to restore. When Paul said in the New Testament, there's no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, Greek <laughs> nor Roman, nor Syrian, nor Assyrian, you know, on and on and on. What he's telling us is how radical the undermining of the wound is in and through the work of the Lord Jesus. But we haven't seen it, have we? We haven't seen it in our entirety yet. The good news of Jesus is progressively transformational. Remember, blessed are the pure in spirit who see the rule and reign of God fulfilled. Blessed are those who are persecuted to bring that righteousness they too will see the kingdom of heaven. It's as though their mind and their eternal capacity and their spiritual nature is taking them beyond the here and now to live and to sacrifice similarly to the way Jesus did. Remember, he, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to suffer to bring a new reality. And clearly this is something of the essential uh, nature of those who will bring uh, the glory of God back uh, into this creation and into this created order. So that's kind of the theory. That's the theory. I'm not trying to give you three points to fix the world. I just want us to sit and wrestle thankfully in the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ today who has loved us with a depth at infinite cost to himself to bring us forgiveness. And people say, I look at things, I look at circumstances, how could you forgive that? I look at what someone's done to me, what someone said about me, how could you forgive that? Humanly, why should you? You can't. But when I look at what Jesus has done for me, uh, through nothing that I deserve, it creates a glimmer of possibility that in and through my unity with him, maybe I can achieve far more and be transformed far more than I can ever ask or think. Let's just sit with that this week. No solutions. Let's just sit with that this week and part two, part two next week. Just bless you. The Lord keep you. Amen.